0: Watchers in the fourth dimension.
1: Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of Watchers in the fourth dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. This episode, we're getting Cronenberg'd with Destination <coughs> Nerva, a Big Finish audio that's set directly after the end of The Talons of Wang Chiang, making it the obvious option for our Season 14 audio bonus episode. Taking a quick look behind the scenes here, this was the first Big Finish audio to be released that starred Tom Baker back in January 2012. For the first 13-ish years of Big Finish's Doctor Who output, Tom Baker had resisted reprising the role of the fourth Doctor, despite Big Finish's best efforts to tempt him back. They had managed to get the remaining four living classic Doctors, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and Paul McGann, but Tom Baker was a rather mercurial character and was rather reluctant to return to the role.
2: Surprise, surprise.
1: Surprise, surprise. That said, the BBC tempted him back in 2009 to a series that they produced called Hornet's Nest that was written by Paul Mars. And that was the first time he had returned to the role for a full-length story since leaving the TV show. And that ended up being a trilogy of adventures. And generally, this is credited with his change of mind in relation to Big Finish. So, with Tom now up for it, it was up to Big Finish to arrange his first season. Partnering him for the full season as his companion, we have Louise Jameson as Leela, and she had been working with Big Finish for a while, reprising the role of Leela as a part of the Gallifrey audio stories, as well as in the 40th anniversary special, Zagreus. The season was initially slated to kick off with energy of the Daleks. However, not wanting the Daleks to overshadow Tom Baker's return, that story was pushed back to fourth place in the season of six audios. Destination Nerva, written by Big Finish executive producer Nick Briggs, was brought forward to kick off the season, providing an iconic setting, but no big name monster or other returning characters as a distraction. Destination Nerva was directed by Nick Briggs. Thankfully, having written the story and assigned himself to direct it, he decided against casting himself in the story, but that is something he often does. Sound and Music was provided by Jamie Robertson, who has provided music for more Big Finish audios than I can count. I lost count at around 75, and based on the length of his TARDIS.fandom.com entry, it looked like it was probably over 100, so blimey. The story was recorded in September 2011, and as I mentioned, released in January 2012. So with that, let's get into discussing it. All right. I think the obvious question is, we've listened to some Tom Baker stuff before. We listened to a more recent story with Return of the Cybermen, which I think was from around 2021-ish. Do you think he sounded a bit more like he did on the TV show in this one than he did in that, given the age?
2: I think he sounded younger, but he somehow sounded more off to me Hmm. than I was expecting. It might just be me.
1: It might also be he just hadn't really done it for a while, so he's still getting back into the swing of being the character. Actually,
0: I've had no issue with his voice. The mannerism in the style of a doctor I felt was a little off. And on the other side of it, Louise Jameson, I thought she was right on target as Leela, but her voice was just a little off. And we've had this discussion before regarding big finished recordings. A lot of time has passed. People's voice change when they age. That's just natural. But I felt that... Tom sounded more like himself, but didn't necessarily have the same delivery, but the voice was the same. Louise Jameson had the character down pat again. I think she did excellent.
1: And she had already been doing it for over 10 Uh, years at this point. There you go. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: I can be down for that. It's just something seemed off with the doctor, and I could probably see where some of it's the delivery. So that might have been a little bit more of it, but... Yeah, I agree. But Louise Jameson was excellent.
1: Love Louise Jameson. Well, and
0: let's go ahead and discuss that Jago and Lightfoot call out right at the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) I
2: love them.
0: Now, when we talked about Talons, I believe it was mentioned that Big Finish had also done some Lightfoot and Jago.
1: Yes, Jago and Lightfoot, they did 11 seasons of standalone adventures. 11 seasons. They're just doing the Marvel thing. and They're just,
0: you know, tying into their other series, so to speak.
1: <laughs> yes, very much so. Although this one was actually meant to start right after Talons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that I understand. But also 11 seasons? That's
1: yeah. That's crazy.
2: Wow.
0: There's only so many dumb waiters you can get stuck oh, in. Wait, no, I misspeak.
1: 14 seasons. Uh- Whoa. (laughs) And they actually appear in a couple of Fourth Doctor Adventures as well.
2: Are they one of the most prolific of Big Finish? Or are there others that have that kind of a backlog?
1: You mean of spin-off ranges? Yes. I think Torchwood has quite a few, but that one's cheating a bit because that was actually on TV. Agreed. Let me think. I think Gallifrey has about eight seasons, I think.
2: If you can't think of it right now, then we'll just say this is the one. And that is so surprising.
1: I think it really is. I think this is possibly their biggest spinoff that wasn't already a TV show. All right. All right. I'm
0: going to let you finish J.O. and Lightfoot 14 seasons. But Kondo from Brain and Warby is getting no seasons.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Come on, big finish. Come on. Yeah.
2: There's a lot of others I can think of, especially some of those <laughs> pairings that we had in the second Doctor era.
1: Ugh. Mm -hmm. Totally missing out. Where's our range of the further adventures of Miss Hawthorne?
2: Oh, Oh, Miss Hawthorne.
1: But big finish, seriously, give me a call. I can do a
0: condo. (laughs) Jokes aside, we have Jago and Life would call out, and now hilariously they have to go back (laughs) to Earth in
1: 1895, back to England. Let me talk a little about how this starts because this feels very era appropriate. We don't get the Doctor and Leela coming into the story until about two and a half minutes into it. Mm -hmm. So we've got about two minutes once you get the title sequence over and done with of other stuff. And that's something the show is doing a lot at this point in time. So I feel like there's been a great deal of care put into this Mm -hmm. to try and make sure that it feels like that particular era.
2: The other thing that it does from the era is... It starts in one time, we'll say, and then all of a sudden it goes somewhere else, which is also error-appropriate, just in opposite directions, like Mandragora, where it goes to the swirly toilet, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, or even the Hand of Fear, where we start off in deep space about to see Eldrad's ship get kaboomed right. before mm-hmm. we then cut to Earth. So yeah, absolutely. That's a very important
0: storytelling technique. I find, because it provides the listener or viewer a sense of grand scope, and it takes them on an adventure. It gives you a variety of locations, and also just it's stimulating to us how these places connect no matter how far apart they are or how these actions through time connect intrigues our mind, and I can't help but thinking that I believe there was a good period of time where that was oftentimes the structure of Simpsons episodes. Yes, it would start it off going in one direction, and then, of course, through the humor, they would bring in a connection to that that was completely off the wall in order to connect it, and then we'd be going in a completely different plot line. And I feel like that is something that we as people or human beings that enjoy stories, we like that stimulation. We find that intriguing to find the connections between things where there are no connection, really.
2: I also find it interesting, I think a lot of times in these audios, especially, it seems to start off with some fighting. (laughs) But at the same time, yes, I know we don't necessarily like our shootouts, but from an audio perspective, it gives us a lot of things to latch onto and makes it interesting because unless you have maybe an eerie setting, to have a lot of action kind of gets you in the mood and ready to actually listen to a full story.
0: Because there's always a pull there, right? With an audio-only story, your mind, and I'm sure the producers and writers already are aware that that listener is aware that all we can do is give them something to hear. And they're probably expecting nothing but just people talking. Because that's literally all it is. But if you provide them with action, or the audio-story equivalent of action, then that somehow pulls the brain or tricks the brain into like buying into the story and getting invested instead of just feeling like you're just listening to lines being read for an hour or so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into talking about the plot of this because I feel like this is a relatively simple plot that's done well. Uh,
0: okay. I might disagree with you a little bit on that one. I think that I agree that it is a very simple plot and I think it's executed okay. I don't know if I would say executed very well, though. And I think this is something that I've noticed about myself, that if I'm going down the path of a story that is very, very familiar, I need it to be executed very well, like Robots of Death. It's Agatha Christie, but my God, it's so well executed. It's becoming a joke now how many times I reference the thing in our recordings, (laughs) but this is the thing with a backstory instead of it just being on its own. And that's our main conflict. And that's basically what we have. And because that's it, it required a lot more, at least from me, for me to enjoy it or to find it very stimulating. It was fun and okay and standard. Especially at how it's very concise. It's a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am kind of story. You can't really marinate in it.
1: What I kind of like about something like this, and I understand it is following very familiar ground, whether it's The Thing or I reference Cronenberg because I was thinking of that Mm -hmm. Rick and Morty episode where their original (laughs) reality gets Cronenberg and everyone's mutated into these horrific creatures. But this is the kind of thing that Doctor Who could never actually do on TV. It's too horrific to put on at 6.30 in the evening on BBC One. So, yes, it did it in a fairly standard way, but part of the fun is still hearing it in a Doctor Who mm-hmm. context. Oh, and it is disturbing.
2: Oh, all this squish. The this, oh. This oh. squish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I understand that we had to go with something that you can really hear because just hearing, oh, your skin is mutating, is not really effective. But do they always have to go with the squish approach? Because it just makes <laughs> me feel really gross.
1: And I would argue then it's done its job. <laughs> right. And then the combination
0: of the description of how these human forms are melding into each other with the sound. I will say that was very well executed. That was well done. That related hit, it made me feel very uncomfortable and grossed out. And it was so disturbing to me that it made me recall another extremely disturbing movie scene from a horror movie called Society. Go watch that movie or don't. (laughs) (laughs) But also has something similar that is very disturbing. And it did such a good job with that. It made me think of that immediately. It connected me to my other uncomfortableness. So good job on that.
2: I think there were some good bits and some things that I wish they had explored further. And two of those, I guess, being one, you have the individuals who are the laborers, we'll say, they're barely in it. And at the end of the day, we really just hear about one of them who really Mm -hmm. gets affected. And then the rest of it, we're just like, ah, sucks for the rest of them. (laughs) (laughs) And they didn't really participate that much in the plot to be perfectly honest. So I was kind of upset about that. Why introduce all those characters if we're not going to really utilize them, even in such a short story? And the other being the doctor and the little girl that they mentioned. Yeah. It felt very tagged in and didn't really
1: mm-hmm.
2: make me like her any more or less because it just seemed like a very odd thing.
1: Yeah, it felt like the kind of character development you need in a four-part story, but in a two-part story, it feels shoehorned in, as you say, Julie, and then there's nowhere to go with it just because there's no time.
0: Also, it does feel tagged in because, as we discussed, the subject matter is so disturbing and so dark and horrifying that, obviously, they're trying to find a way of finding a balance, trying to even it out a little bit for something kind of heartwarming or touching, and... Because it doesn't have enough room to breathe, it is like Julie said, it's tagged in there. It doesn't feel helpful. And I would argue that if we're going to have a story that is this short about this subject matter, just straight up make it a horror story or a ghost story, whatever you do. Short and simple. That's its purpose. There's no way you're going to make it really expand into something more than that, especially when you're only, what, an hour long runtime or so?
2: Just under. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just hard to do that. There's just not enough time.
1: I don't know. I still felt like even though this has its flaws, I still really enjoyed it.
2: I enjoyed it as well. And the part that I love and hate at the same time is the whole thing with expanding the British Empire. (laughs) 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 Just, I I think it's so dumb. But also (laughs) at the same time, I can completely 100% visualize one man being like, you know what? This is my job in life—is to just spread the British Empire. It just—it was so weird, but it still made me laugh.
1: And you know what? I have a feeling it's exactly what we would have done at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not content with controlling a third of the world, let's move out into space, baby, for queen and country.
2: I also have a lot of questions around it, and it would have been nice to, again, expand this into a four-parter and have one part be about their transition from, we're going to steal this spaceship, to how in the world do we actually operate this spaceship? to how do we actually interact with aliens that don't speak our languages, to, hey, we're going to take over the galaxy or the universe. I just have a lot of questions that could have been explored a little bit further if we had a little bit more time.
1: I feel like we didn't really see their infection either. Mm -mm. So there's this big backstory, and I kind of get why, because I guess they wanted to kind of keep that hidden as to the fact that Lord Jack and Sergeant Mm -hmm. Henry McMullen were the cause of infection and that it was coming. But it would have been nice to maybe have a flashback later on and have that, again, I'm recognizing this is only two parts, so there's some time limitations, but lose all the stuff about the daughter, put in a flashback to them figuring out the ship and how they get infected.
2: Basically what I'm hearing is either the story needed to be shortened in just a horror story, or it needed to be lengthened and pulled into a full, outright, Mm -hmm. like, big story.
0: Yeah, got caught in between. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, I caught him between. While you brought up the sergeant, Henry McMullen, I have to ask, Julie, you know what I'm going to ask? Does he have a charming, enticing voice that would make you want to shake his hand?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, thank you. That flattery is not the nice kind of flattery.
1: Yeah, it was creepy as fuck. Yes. Yeah. I was like, I'm not even a woman and this is making me uncomfortable. <laughs>
2: they tried to play it off as not even really mind control per se, but just a very heavy persuasion.
1: Yeah, almost like an entrancement.
2: Yes. And I kind of am okay with that, although because mind control is so overdone, I Mm -hmm. get really frustrated with it sometimes, but that's why I'm glad it was more trance-like than full-out mind control. That made me feel better, and that Leela was able to shake it off after a little bit but yeah he just sounded like a creep
1: <laughs> yeah and describing all the women as what was it lovely mm-hmm. oh you seem you seem quite lovely it's just it because mm. there's the doctor and lovely lady doctor <laughs> yeah
2: lovely la- oh sorry
1: yeah it definitely feels kind of icky and i get it it was part of the character one he's victorian so he's got different mannerisms two you're meant to feel that there's something weird about him when he first shows up and something kind of icky because there is because he's this weird thing slash cronenberg type creature who's going to transform everyone so yeah you're meant to feel kind of uncomfortable so i guess it does its job Mm -hmm.
2: yeah and i think again there's pros and cons to it it's funny, when the jump happened between them fleeing the Victorian era and kind of getting a little bit caught in the stream of the spaceship or whatever, and then all of a sudden going to Allison, our doctor, it was one of those situations where it happened and I think, the Mask of Man Dragon where I was like, what in the world am I watching? I went from this thing to something completely <laughs> different. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, that ties back into our whole conversation about fitting the time period of Doctor Who.
1: So I think one thing that neither of you would probably appreciate because you didn't grow up with Big Finish being the only available new Doctor Who. So Big Finish, when it first came about, really did one-off stories that you had to figure out where they fit into the show's continuity. So they would do a random fifth Doctor story with a companion from then and you had to kind of figure out for yourself, well this takes place between this story and this story. And then the more they did of these, you then had to kind of figure out where they all fit together. And then they got the eighth Doctor and they basically did the eighth doctor adventures because he never got anything more than a tv movie so he finally Mm -hmm. had seasons so they started doing seasons of things and then they get tom baker and they do him in seasons as well so this is the first in a season of six stories and don't Mm -hmm. start thinking that there's anything from this that carries on through the rest of the season there's not but i remember this being released 12 years ago and it hitting my big finish account And just the sheer excitement that there was new Tom Baker, Doctor Who. And not only that, that it was effectively season 14B. Right. Because this led straight out of Talons into a brand new Tom Baker season. And that was so cool and so exciting. And on top of that, we're back on Nerva. So Mm -hmm. maybe there's a slight bit of nostalgia from me on there. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Nostalgia in me?
1: Surely not.
2: Oh, (laughs) surprise, surprise.
0: Did they ever go back to those other stories, not Eighth Doctor and not Fourth Doctor, the ones they were doing like one-offs of, did they ever kind of try to recategorize or give a proper placement for those or those just determined by fans as to where they
1: fall so at first they would actually say this story takes place between this tv story and this tv story but the more big finish output there was the harder it became to do that and you'd have to figure out the order in which the big finish stories fit with each other Okay, And as time went by, they got a bit better about that and would actually try and weave a narrative and they started doing trilogies of stories that fit together. But some of those early ones, even now, I'm like, uh, that doesn't really fit anywhere. Mm. And okay. we'll talk about it when we get there. But they shoehorn adventures with the fifth doctor and a companion who wasn't with the fifth doctor for very long. And it kind of ruins something mm. in that character's okay. development. Again, we'll talk about it when we get there. We'll get there. (laughs) But they definitely tried to do a few things just for the sake of reusing characters, maybe where it shouldn't have happened. That said, back onto Destination Nerva. And I suspect Julie wants to talk about this because Julie always wants to talk about this. The music.
2: Well, the music and just the sound design in general, because they often kind of go hand in hand. Again, it's wonderful and lovely. And Big Finish very rarely let me down.
1: What I thought was really cool here was this was like a cross between Dudders and Murray Gold.
2: <laughs> You're not wrong, actually, now that I think about it.
1: Yeah, and I was like, I'm not sure I would have ever thought of those two being something that could easily be crossed. But somehow Jamie Robertson did it there
2: were some really great things in bits. And I think the part that was really Murray Gold to me was as they were fleeing so that they didn't get vaporized and they were going into the future, that's when the actual orchestra part or the most like an orchestra part kind of picked up, which is where your Murray Gold comes from. And it's like this big heroic, upbeat type of thing. But then a lot of the other pieces and things that are more designated for the quiet things, that's a little bit more dudders.
1: Yeah, I really liked it. Julie, you always say Big Finish do music and soundscapes well, but I thought somehow they really pulled that off, that interesting blend between the styles.
2: I'm just very sad that they didn't have the standalone music soundscape like they normally do.
1: Yeah, I think that's a newer thing. (sighs) At one point, they would release standalone releases of music from their audios. And it was only later where they started adding it as a bonus feature. So we're probably a little early, but we'll make sure we get back to that, Julie.
2: Perfect. Riley, did you have anything to add there?
1: About the music? Mm-hmm. No. The soundscape, I agree. Big
0: Finish always delivers on that. We already discussed the squishing, <laughs> the, squishiness. <laughs> the squishiness. They nailed the squishiness. <laughs> and even the other things like the workers, kind of like that rabble sound and the sound of the rain at the beginning and the sound of the doors opening, closing off those airlocks. Yeah, I mean, it definitely drops you into a place and makes you feel there. And they've always done a great job with that.
1: I guess there are two questions. One, could you ever see yourselves listening to this again? Two, does this entice you to listen to the rest of this season?
0: Would I listen to this one again? Probably not. I don't know why... I'm going to say something very controversial here. I actually was more entertained by pescatons. Whoa.
2: Oh, then it's words.
1: That said, for you, Riley, I can very easily picture you saying, if you want to experience the thing, you're going to watch the thing. So why would you return to this? (laughs) No, I
0: mean, we haven't talked about the twist at the end, the background of our epiderm horrific monster, which definitely makes it separate from the thing. And there's no moments of questioning who's who here in the story. It's very clear that, oh, they've been barely touched. They are now infected. It's over. And it's just more gruesome than suspenseful in that manner. I found the pescatons, while obviously ridiculous, just very original. And Mm. I'm a sucker for originality. And I'm not saying this is poor at all. I think this is good. I don't think it's extremely well executed. I think it's finely executed. But it just it offers me nothing for me to want to go back to. Does it make me interested into listening to further serials in this season of Big Finish? Yes, it does, though.
2: Okay. Julie? Well, it's a little difficult. I don't know that I'd necessarily go back and listen to it partially one there's just so much big finish out there that it's going to take something really impressive to get me to listen to it again or something so damn catchy that I have to go back to it <clears throat> <The> scorchies <laughs> <laughs> but i agree with riley i think it's good enough to warrant a look into the rest that is a part of the season, because this is kind of your more predictable story, but it is standalone and there were mention of Daleks and that would be interesting to see. So, yeah.
1: Okay. So I've already listened to the whole series because I listened to it when it came out. This was more enjoyable to me than I remembered it being, to the point where I'd kind of forgotten about it. I knew nerve was involved, but I remembered absolutely nothing else about this story. So I'm glad we listened to it and I'm glad I got to kind of reevaluate it and realize I actually enjoyed it. I'll probably think back on it certainly with more regularity than I did previously. But before we wrap up, Riley you did mention we didn't talk about the resolution, which is that the whole thing was a bioweapon. And the Drellorans, I think, mm-hmm. basically after an impassioned speech by Dr. Foster, decide to inject the Dr. Leela and Dr. Foster with the cure and teleport them back. So everyone gets cured and moves along with their lives. I have to say before
0: they were identified as Drellans, Drell, whatever, <laughs> however they want to say it, they sounded to me and I thought it was the Jadoon. Agreed. Uh, yeah,
1: I can hear that.
2: Yeah, especially, obviously, when they hadn't translated it yet,
1: mm-hmm.
2: that's when it really sounded kind of like the dunes.
1: I agree. Jadoons on the moon. Joko <laughs> <laughs> Fosho sure, no Romoto. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I think we've pretty much exhausted this, so we'll call it a day. Dear listener, if you haven't listened to us, it's probably worth a listen to. It's only going to be an hour of your time. The rest of the season, I think, starts to pick up steam and Riley and Julie It does feature an appearance from the Crispy Master. Yes! Who is admittedly, the voice has been recast, but recast with the actor they actually recast it with in the show. So, Mm. you know, when he comes back later in the Tom Baker era, it is a different actor and it's that actor they get for Big Finish. So, some continuity at least. Extra tasty crispy. Mm, Double fried. (laughs) (laughs) all right with that we will call it today thank you everyone for listening to us ramble on about the return of tom baker to doctor who on audio this has been a lot of fun thank you again for listening and until next time as always have a good one You have been listening to Watches in the Fourth Dimension with Julie Filipec, Riley Shrek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This bonus episode, We're Getting Cronenberg'd, was recorded on Wednesday, the 20th of December, 2023. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available through your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at watchers 4 d and you can also email us at watches4d at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, stay away from creepy-sounding Victorian men. They may well be infected with an alien bioweapon.